Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello, I'm Anthony Fury. Thanks so much for joining us for the latest episode of Full Comic. Please consider subscribing if you haven't already. The idea of discussing regulations pertaining to fertilizer usage at first seems like, well, one of those boring possible topics for the average Canadian who isn't involved in that line of work. What does it have to do with my life? But what more people have been learning, really just the past few weeks, is that the answer to that question is everything. And that far from being a boring topic, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau's new policies aimed at reducing fertilizer usage in the name of fighting climate change could just be his most controversial move to date. After all, major protests by farmers and their allies are erupting in other countries around the world, such as the Netherlands and Sri Lanka, due to similar policies. Now, the Liberals describe their own plan as a harmless proposal to reduce emissions from fertilizers by 30% between 2020 and 2030. But a number of farmers and industry experts say what this will really mean in practice is a reduction in our food supply, farms going out of business, and the price of food going up even more than it already has this year. So what's really going on here? Our guest today knows this issue from both the perspective of a farmer and a politician. Jerry Ritz served as Canada's Agriculture Minister from 2007 to 2015 in the Conservative government of Stephen Harper, and before entering politics, he spent over 20 years working as a farmer in Saskatchewan. Jerry Ritz joins us now. Jerry, welcome to the program. Great to have you here. Yes, good day, Anthony. It's a pleasure to be here. Really looking forward to your insights, of course, from both sides of that aisle, politics and, of course, from the farmer perspective here. So yeah, Liberal government, they've been doing a whole bunch of things about, about climate change, reducing emissions, and they say, hey, this fertilizer thing is just one small part of our broader plan, and you know, it's harmless, and all this is is about reducing these emissions by 30%, kind of seems similar to our Paris deal, and you know, it's no biggie. How would you describe what's actually going on here, though? Well, you can add consumer to my list as both a politician and a farmer as well, just like you, I eat, and, and I, I'm, I'm very concerned that this is going to curtail our ability to produce food that we export as well as use domestically and it'll drive prices up anytime governments bring in heavy-handed regulations like this without consultation they're doing this backwards they made the announcement pick this 30 percent number out of the air and now they're trying to ram it down everybody's throats they're they're now saying oh it was voluntary well there's no such thing with government as voluntary we've seen that with their gun buybacks and all these other programs that they do but this is really a heavy-handed insult to Canadian farmers who've been going down this road. They're actually leading government in environmental protection on their farms for 20 years. And there's no recognition of that in this heavy-handed announcement. Now walk me through how this actual reduction in fertilizer emissions could result in the price of food going up. You say, okay, well, you're using a bunch of fertilizers, just, well, use a little bit more and there you go, but you'll make the same food and it'll be fine and, and, and so forth. Well, the problem is they're not recognizing the work that farmers are doing now in mapping their land. And, you know, fertilizer isn't cheap. 
So what farmers have done is taken the bull by the horns, literally, and come up with new, new technology, new innovative ways, working with their counterparts in industry, to put on the right amount of fertilizer, the right kind of fertilizer, at the right time, in the right spot. What they do is they map their land with soil samples, and then from that, it goes up to the cloud and creates a GPS map that your air seeder, your high clearance sprayer, and even your combine and so on, then follow and what that does is give you the most effective, efficient use of any of your input costs, as well as the fuel that's required to apply them and then harvest the crop. And there's no recognition for that. The problem with this program, and we were briefed at the municipal level by a, a provincial group that are handling some of the money that's supposed to enhance this. And if you're doing any of this now, you get no credit for it. You have to stop doing it for an undefined period of time and then start up again. And that's just absolutely ridiculous. You know, any industry out there, any business, and farming is big business, will tell you their biggest problem now is government. Sorry, they have to. They would have to stop doing the efficient use of fertilizer for a little bit so that they then have a window where they can later come into compliance with this law or something? Yeah, yeah. If you're side banding already, which is the most effective use of fertilizer, getting it right down in there beside the seed, uh, they don't they don't recognize that as, as being environmentally friendly and farmers have been doing that with air seeders for 20 years and in getting better at it. Uh, the other thing is they're using the right amount of fertilizer, which is a, a huge difference in the right spots. So you're not putting 30 pounds of ant across your whole field. You're only putting on a maybe 30 or 40 percent where it's required. And there's no there's no credit for that. There are slow release nitrogen and fertilizers out there, but they cost more. And of course, they'll drive the price of those commodities up over time. But even those aren't recognized uh, as a reliable way to get this done. So everything that farmers have done with environmental farm plans and, and so on, all the way through to this, this juncture where they can actually prove with the carbon sequestration that's going on that they're net zero, if you want to, if you want to call it that. And there's no recognition of any of that in this consultation phase after the fact. Now, Jerry, bring us back to basics for a moment here. I'm, I'm here in downtown Toronto. I've, I've already had my uh, obligatory latte this morning. What are fertilizers? What do they do? What do they accomplish? Why are they used? Well, there's different levels of fertilizer. Uh, actually, as important as fertilizer anymore are the micronutrients. And that's what the soil sampling and so on does. Uh, carber, co copper, magnesium, sulfur, all these different little micronutrients that get, that get applied to some of them top-dressed. Some of them implied with the seed or, or done up ahead of time in the fall before you seed in the spring. But fertilizers basically kickstart the growth of the product. Uh, and, and they, you know, some people will top dress with certain fertilizers that'll help uh, some of the stuff pod out properly or bring it uh, further on in, in, in adding fruit to that, you know, the seed that, that is required. So they are chemicals that are added and farmers have got a great story to tell about using less of these but more intensively where they're required. And, and again, as I said, these environmental farm plans that guys have been doing for years, because this stuff's expensive. And you know, farming to run an effective, efficient uh, business economically, they don't spend more than they need to. Now, I, I've heard some people basically say that fertilizers are what allows us to have our, our modern way of living in terms of providing the volume of food we need uh, for the number of people we have in this world. And without them, we'd be pushed, I guess, closer to, I don't know, pre-industrial revolution numbers or agriculture revolution. What role do fertilizers play in, in being able to allow us the amount of food we need? Well, they increase the yield uh, exponentially. Uh, you know, 
organic farmers where they'll get, and I'll pick some numbers out of a hat here and there'll be somebody that'll take exception with them, but you know, a good organic crop might be 30 bushel an acre where today's average yield is probably approaching, approaching 45 or 50. And that's what fertilizers and chemicals do. It gives you a, cre- a cleaner crop. Seed varieties have changed as well so that they're stronger uh, to withstand floods and droughts and, and some sort of bugs infestations and mold and mildew and all those things that attack your crop. So at the end of the day, you know, our food products rely on those incentives, I'll call them, in, in the fertilizers and chemicals that are applied judiciously by today's farmers. So if we stop using fertilizer, if we, use, if we go all to organic farming, which I'm, I'm going to ask you about one country that's exploring that uh, right now and having some major consequences. If we, if Sri we just, Lanka. Yeah, if we go right to organic farming, we see like a 35% reduction in our food, basically. Yeah, absolutely. You'll see that in the first year of, of production. Canada's in a little different situation. Sri Lanka's struggling to feed themselves. Canada, we feed ourselves and then export between 50 to 80%, depending on the commodity. We are a, a large landmass country with very industrious farm organizations and, and uh, farmers themselves. And at the end of the day, we overproduce. And that, that makes us, the far agricultural sector, the third largest contributor to Canada's GDP. There's no recognition of what that will do to all of the jobs that rely on that extra product for export or even food processing in this country, which is escaping in droves due to the carbon tax and other crazy ideas like that. Now, the Liberal government is saying that any concerns to this effect are, well, they like using that phrase misinformation. Everyone uses that phrase now for things they don't like. Uh, there was a guest column in the Post Media Papers by Lloyd Longfield. He is a Liberal MP. And he yep. said, hold well, on, a, well, Lloyd wrote, hold on a second here. This law explicitly says that, quote, actions to achieve emissions reductions will focus on improving nitrogen management and optimizing fertilizer use and not on a mandatory reduction in the use of fertilizers. And I get a little bit confused by this because you're basically saying, well, yeah, farmers already want to reduce all of this. They already want to improve, improve efficiency. So I'm kind of left going, if the government's saying that's what they want to do, you're saying that's already happening, and the government says, oh, this isn't even mandatory. I go, well, what? why is the government talking about it then? Why are they calling it regulations well, and restrictions and laws? Yeah. What's happening yeah. here? Well, it's communications talking points. They realize they've stepped in the cow pie out in the pasture, and they're starting to shake their foot and hope it falls off. <laughs> uh, this whole concept that somehow government in Ottawa and provinces, for that matter, are smarter than the people on the ground has always been a misnomer. Uh, I had a great big sticker on the front of my question period book and all my trade uh, journals and so on saying farmers first. Uh, Farms for years and years have always been the repository of everything that failed anywhere on the food chain above them or on the input line below them. They were were where the, the buck stopped. And this is no different. You know, they're calling for consultations now after the fact, but still not recognizing. And I saw Marie Claude Bibeau the other day musing about the fact, well, they'll take a look at what farmers are doing and they may add it in. They may, they may. And, and you know, Lloyd's guest editorial is just sleight of hand, smoke of mirrors. He's starting to get some pushback. His, his is an agricultural-based uh, riding. You know, he's got uh, the college there and so on that's very much ag-focused. And he's starting to feel some heat. So they've been told, okay, go out there and tell them, we're really not serious about this, but we want you guys to step up and, and do this. Well, farmers can already prove they've probably gone beyond what government has done. And I think it's time for government to catch up to farmers, not the other way around. So we found in the Netherlands, we've got farmers there who are doing really aggressive protests. They are blocking highways. They are blocking grocery stores. Uh, police have really been getting involved in all of that. We had some protests in Canada that were sold as 
as uh, allies to the Dutch farmers, but at the same time, they were already starting to talk about this legislation. So we already kind of have farmer protests on the ground here in Canada. Where do you see this headed? Uh, after all, you're saying there's a bit of kind of backpedaling from the government or, or at least trying to manage things and, and, and deal with this blowback right now. What's going to happen in the weeks and months ahead? Well, I think farmers will start to come to grips with this. I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that the the so-called farm groups that live off of, you know, checkoffs from farmers themselves aren't up on the battlements with this. I mean, this is this mm. is a hill to die on, and they just haven't grasped that yet. They somehow, I don't know if it's Stockholm Syndrome over the last seven years, a Trudeau government, that it could be worse. It, it probably could be. But at the end of the day, guys, if you don't take a stand now, go to your province because, you know, the administration of all these programs falls to the, falls to the provincial level, and they're going to face the heat. The, the Liberals are very good about taking... I'll call them bullshit regulations like this and let somebody else face the the wrath of the of the people that are that are covered by them and and that can't that can't happen in this in this instance i mean people are already working with three and five year crop cycles that use the nitrogen put into the soil by the beans peas lentils chickpeas that type of thing onto their wheat next year they don't necessarily put barley on that because it drives the protein level up and that of course then doesn't allow it to go for malt so farmers are are educated. You know, you look at the average age and the average education of farmers now, it is way beyond what my generation was. University degrees, these guys are, are experts in doing what they're doing. You look at the technology that they're working with. You know, they keep their iPad in the, in the ca- cab of whatever implement they're using because that's what then powers the implement with this information coming back down from the cloud. So they're light years ahead of agriculture that I'm watching anywhere else in the world. Uh, we sequester carbon on a tonnage basis that is unaccounted for in this whole this whole thing. I mean, the Liberals have pulled these um, climate change problems out of the out of thin air. Uh, first, it was carbon, and we all realize we need CO2 to grow things. We have a, a unprecedented forest cover and crop cover in this country that sucks up carbon way beyond what anybody is allowing. We're seeing only one side of the science out there, and that needs to be adjusted too. Uh, we've we've politicized the science. We have now politicized groups like Farm Credit Canada that have a, a box to check off, and they're, they're, they're falling back on this, and I've still got people there that, that are on the right side of these issues, but they're saying, well, Trudeau's made it a law that we have to, anybody that supported the convoys and other things, you know, they have to check a box saying they weren't serious about it or they won't renew their loan. And they're going to follow that same thing with another box that says, if you're not following Trudeau's environmental plan, you're not going to get a loan. And they're the largest uh, farm-based lender in the country, some $44 billion package in there that they've done a good job to uh, adjust. And they're going to put that all at risk with farmers. The banks will go along. They went along with the lockdown and the you know freezing accounts and so on. And that concerns me. This could go off the rails very, very quickly here if farmers don't stand up and take charge of this issue and really push back hard. We'll be back with more with Jerry Ritz in just a moment. Jerry, you mentioned this being part of overall climate plans, and it's interesting. I looked at the emissions, and of course, the the point of uh, all of these reductions here, reduce fertilizer usage or fertilizer emissions by 30% between 2020 and 2030. Well, the 2020 numbers show that fertilizers accounted for just under 13 megatons of our emissions back then, less than 2% of our national emissions. So when we talk about reducing that usage by a third, 
you're saying really what we're going to do is reduce Canada's emissions, which we know are just whatever 1.5% of the world's emissions by something like 0.7%. And I go, okay, we're bringing in all this drama for 0.7% where maybe you're going to have farmers protesting. You're going to have food prices rising all for such a tiny amount, I think. Like why focus on this? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, you know, they seem to want to show leadership on the world stage that we're ahead of everybody else. We already are, but we're not taking credit for that. And to double down on this basically lets him shift people's watching the economy in this country, watching what's happening to our justice system. As I like to say, the rule of law in Canada has been perverted to the law of the ruler. And we're seeing all of these other issues out there that are just bombarding us. And we're now arguing about fertilizer. Uh, you know, Trudeau's flight plans probably cost more in, in carbon and you, you want to name it than, than what farmers can clean up. As you <laughs> rightly point out, a third to 2% is a rounding error. Yeah. And, and, and that's what we're fighting over. It's absolutely ridiculous. Canada's a 1.6% of the global problem. And somehow he thinks he can fix a global problem by changing what Canada does significantly. And, and that's just wrongheaded political ideology. Basic, I want to, you know, I bordering on idiocy. Yeah, I, I want to pick up on something that you were saying a couple minutes ago. Basically, this whole idea of, of farm credit, different banks getting involved, liking it to what happened uh, in the aftermath of the Emergencies Act. So they're pointing out that these targets are going to be voluntary. And I'm like, well, okay, why are we even talking about it then? Why is the government drafting all this stuff on it? If it's voluntary, it means it's not a thing. It's not a government thing. But you're saying basically, okay, it's not mandatory but we're going to tighten the screws on you in other ways if you don't comply. I think they need to say not mandatory and then add yet uh, as they get closer <laughs> right. to 2030. God help us if there's nothing more in, permanent in, than a pilot project. <laughs> exactly. Especially a government one. Uh, you know, I always say government programs are like onions. If you don't like what you got, you wrap another layer on it. When you try to unwrap it, all it does is make your eyes water uh, at the end of the day. Uh, you know, they're throwing money at this. They're throwing all kinds of, uh, communications at this. We're, we'll see them double down. Um, you know, I, I recommended to my good friend John Barlow that he recall the Ag Committee and, and start getting to the bottom of this. Like, what's driving it? Who's driving it? Why are we trying to lead this in the world when we're seeing what's happening in other countries? Why are we putting our own consumers at risk? Why are we putting our trade corridors with major trading partners like the U.S.? Why are we putting those at risk? There are avenues under the new NAFTA 2.0 or Kuzma or whatever you want to call it that will allow the U.S. to sue us for this type of thing if it starts to negatively affect wow. their supply chains. And is that something that's going to happen? I know you were on the Tucker Carlson program the other week. Uh, he had a great interest in this issue, I, I think mm -hmm. also because of how it could affect the U.S. supply chain and, and U.S. access to food they bring in from Canada. Are, are we going to see that sort of stuff happen, that that this, this legislation is basically like a food security risk for other countries? Well, I think they, they are rightly focusing on that. And, and uh, you know, Tucker took it upon himself to start to follow up on some of this. And he's absolutely right. I mean, we buy a lot of those inputs that farmers use, the machinery itself. A lot of that comes from the U.S. And we're going to see those slow down and, and, and not be picked up. So that's a huge hit to their industrial side. We proved through the country of origin labeling arguments, which we won, that the amount of food products that go to the U.S. to be processed and then sold all over the world really is a significant driver of their jobs. And, and their manufacturing capacity. So he was rightly, you know, looking at this and saying, okay, what's what's the impact going to be? And it's it's going to be big. When you start talking about a 30% reduction in emissions, 
that probably means you're going to have to reduce fertilizer use by more like 50 percent in if if depending on how they set up the measurement we still don't have a benchmark they're talking 2020 but nobody really knows what that benchmark is how do you even verify this do you just go by and you put on your little fertilizer goggles and a government inspector stands there and i don't know watches how you're spraying it like how does it even tangibly happen yeah, it, well, it, 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 yeah, good question. I, uh, you know, I used to kid when I was in question period, a myriad of, of liberal ag ministers, they wanted to measure methane from cattle. And I said, so you become the <laughs> fart catcher to the world. Like, how do you, how do you measure that? I mean, there, there's, there's less than half the number of animals raised now than buffalo that used to roar across the plains, U.S. and Canada. So there was no methane problem then, uh, you know. Well, I mean, then when, when we even... When we even say that fertilizers count, account for 2% of Canada's reductions, yeah. is that a, yeah. has that been quantified or is that just a projection, a guesstimate? I, I think it's all guesstimates at this point. I, I, there's no peer-reviewed scientific agreement on any of this. Hmm. They're all over the map. It depends who's, who's paying for what study right. as to what results you get. And, you know, farmers themselves, and that's, that's why I got involved with a company that is going to apply blockchain into agricultural production. We can go right from the bin, right from the field with a GPS locator. And that's the ultimate transparency into some of these premium markets like Japan, Korea, some of the European markets, even U.S. They want that kind of traceability for their consumers as part of a marketing thing. So we can actually go further back than that and start to input all of the products that were put into that field to develop that yield. Now, that data is worth a tremendous amount of money from food safety, food security, also the data that can run the other way down that blockchain to apply carbon credits to that land in on behalf of that farmer or the production crew. So to me, that's the next big thing is the value of that data. Now, one thing that's very interesting I want to pick up on, you talked about people basically having to pause their positive practices to, to allow this to come into effect and then later be seen in compliance. I wonder, all these companies that are, all these farmers that are doing these really um, fertilizer efficient practices right now, it seems like they'd still be hit, or I, I don't know, I, I don't understand really what the law is saying, that they would still be hit by a need for a 30% reduction. And then the ones that aren't doing it would have a 30% reduction. So the people who are the most efficient could even be the most disadvantaged. They'd just be pushed to do even more. Could that happen? Oh, absolutely. And that's part of the argument here is why aren't you giving us credit for what we're already doing? And, and farmers can quantify what they've been doing through their environmental farm plans that they've been doing for almost two decades. Uh, you know, this, this is their livelihood. They're not going to, you know, ruin their own land when it comes to further production. So the amount, the value of the land has gone up exponentially since the market freedom, especially here in Western Canada. But along with that, farmers are doing an excellent job. Soil health now, and it is measured by academics and science and so on, soil health now is far better than it was 20, 30 years ago because we leave that tilth in the soil to to draw bugs and bacteria and things that help break it down and so on. And there's no credit given for that. That's the part that is, you know, sticks in everybody's craw and and they just can't get by that fact saying on their own dime and on their own time, farmers have gone beyond what governments have asked and there's no credit given for that. You got to start over at the government's definition of square one, which is, you know, starting that hundred yard dash 20 yards back. I mean, one thing I've always found very interesting to put it mildly, I'm sure very frustrating for, for affected sectors 
is government is obviously behind the curve on whatever innovation and industry is doing. Like they got to play catch up to even learn. And then they act like they're the king of that industry. Like they have everything all covered. And here it's kind of like, I, I know in these policies and I know the government spin on all of this, they're saying, well, look, farmers are already doing very efficient stuff. And it's like, well, yeah, shouldn't that be a key indication to you guys that like, just step away, just back out of this. Like you guys aren't really aware of what's going on. Yeah, but wouldn't wouldn't you think that a government wanting to make a, a sweeping change like this would consult beforehand to find out what's already being done? They didn't. They don't have a clue. You know, uh, the minister we have now was a, a marketing agent for Quebec. Uh, you know, probably never been on a farm in her life or really realized which end of the cow to milk as opposed to how you run a tractor. I saw Christia Freeland saying how they really appreciate farmers at the same time they're stealing their livelihood. And she wanted to learn how to drive a tractor. Well, go home to her father. He farms in northern Alberta. Uh, maybe he's rented or sold out, but now I don't know. But I mean, she was a farm kid way back when. So, uh, you know, there's a huge disconnect. And I think that's where farmers themselves are falling down on issues like this, where they don't speak directly to consumers. you got to go beyond government because they're not going to give a damn, you know, what you come up with. They've already got a, a laser focus on what the result will be so they can brag about it. Uh, they're big on announcements, but very very, very poor on consulting and follow through. This whole idea of transparency and accountability went out the window years ago. I mean, we know Justin Trudeau personally and and the Liberal government is so obsessed with the green initiatives, the climate stuff. It's really all they talk about. I often say we don't have a prime minister who has an interest in, in climate change activism. We have a climate activist who just happens to be prime minister. And when we talk about the negatives that could befall this and how we're really talking about such a minuscule amount of emissions anyway, like, is the reason just why are they doing this? Well, because they're obsessed with this stuff. They, you know, they don't really care about the consequences. They're just like climate change, you know, apocalyptic thinking. And so everything's worth it. Well, if every farmer went out and planted two trees, they'd probably get a pass. That's what they're focused on. You know, this this whole concept that they're going to put in two billion trees and that's somehow going to bring us to zero is beyond ridiculous. I mean, the forestry industry itself plants hundreds of millions of trees every year in, in regrowth and farmers do add to their own tree growths and, and so on. But at the end of the day, there's no compensation or even credit for all the growing that goes on in putting a crop in the ground and harvesting it every year. And that's the biggest, I guess, weak link in this whole chain of government. So what happens next in all of this? Because it does seem like the government's slightly backing away but then when you talk about them potentially denying farm credit to them, you talk about potential protests, it really does seem like the Liberal government uh, really loved what was going on with the convoy in terms of them being able to vilify the people. And, and, and they like the idea of protest because I think it plays well to their base and, and it plays well uh, to, yeah. to, to vilifying opposition. But that's a dangerous game to play with the people who make your food. Well, it is. And, and you know... It's, it's not that farmers will want to grow less. I mean, they have to have a bottom line that's workable too. The overhead on a normal farm now is, is in the millions of dollars. Uh, and, you know, they, they've got a business to protect, a family way of life to protect. And at some point, they're going to get mad. And, and that's going to change the whole description around this. The liberals are masters at coming out with a knockout punch. And then when it doesn't land squarely, they back off and then jab away and jab away and do this stuff by stealth. And, you know, the problem is there's nobody sitting at the cabinet table in Ottawa anymore that has a clue of what the ramifications of this are going to be. 
they all get their groceries at Safeway and they can't understand why we just don't get more stuff at Safeway and that'll take care of it. They're that disconnected. I know we talk about how there are policies that can be done to say negatively affect Alberta and the Liberals don't really care because they don't really have seats out there. This is something that I guess- you well, I, think that's, get... I think that if I could butt in, I think yeah. that's typical of rural Canada, period. Hmm. And that's what I was going to ask. Is this an extension yeah. of that? Well, I, I think there's a certain amount of political envy here that they never will have a toehold. And this just underscores why they won't. And they don't care. Two uh, percent of Canadians call themselves farmers. Uh, they don't care. Hmm. Uh, you know, there's just not enough votes to make a difference there. I mean, they'll they'll bring in far more immigrants. And I'm not against immigration, but they'll bring in far more immigrants and give them the right to vote right away. And that'll offset anything a farmer's going to do. And I guess the question becomes then, do regular folks either intellectually see this issue differently and therefore side with the farmers and say, I don't care for this ban, uh, for this fertilizer reduction voluntary policy or whatever I'm supposed to call it? Or do we wait until regular folks see it happening in their wallets and go, oh, wow, this this is dinging Well, us. by the by the time they see it in their wallets, it's too late. Right. Uh, and that's that's the concern. We either head this runaway train off now or we watch it go over the cliff and then try to build it back again afterwards. And that's that's always far more difficult. Uh, when I became Ag Minister, we had a mess to clean up all the way across. We had a farm debt mediation board that we finally disbanded because we didn't need it anymore. Farmers were making money. That's There's talk of that coming back now. Uh, and that's that's just unfortunate because then you rely on government grants and government programs in order to cover this. What I can't understand with the provincial level of governments at the ag sector why they aren't screaming loudly because when this hits as it does and we know it's going to be a bite to farmers there's a, a business risk program one of them called agri-stability that uses a rolling olympic average to, to figure out where a farmer lost money in which year and then the government has to pony up that difference and 40 percent of that actual cost will come from the farm or from the provincial coffers so this is going to be billions of dollars like tens of billions of dollars if this thing hits the fan like we think it will that that provincial governments are going to have to pony up 40 percent of and they don't have it wow you know as i said in the lead-in it's like we can talk about all these all the minutiae of what the fertilizer does with different crop and everything and it's like okay it goes over my head i don't understand the details but then when you really sort of expand what you're talking about i mean you're saying this is going to affect affect everything i wasn't even thinking of you know ballooning provincial budgets Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're, they're gonna, that's what I said. They love to announce a program that will be administered by the province. The province takes a 40% hit and the feds go, well, you know, we just, we just transferred this to the provinces and all they're doing is passing, the, literally not passing the buck. The scope of this is really remarkable. It's something that uh, seems to know no end. So hopefully the actual proposed restrictions will see an end soon because the more experts speak out on it, the more people are concerned. Jerry Ritz, thanks so much for joining us today for your expertise on this. Really well, my, appreciated it. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for having me on, Anthony, and, and stay on this. I mean, we've just got to keep hammering away. Uh, this is a political move, not a pragmatic move. This is not going to enhance food production in this country. It's going to harm it. And we need to have people realize that, consumers realize that, that their wallets are what's going to end up paying for this. All the best. Thanks, Jerry. Thank you, sir. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru, with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. You can help us by giving us a rating or a review, and by telling your friends about us. 
Thanks for listening.